What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of the Compile Swift Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Whittem. We have another very special guest today. This is going to be a great conversation. Uh, we're going to mention a lot of things. We're going to put a whole bunch of links in the show notes for you. Check them out. Absolutely check them out. I would like to introduce Ivan Novak. Uh, we have had some fascinating conversations, and I found Ivan by a post on, on dev.to. A shout out to them. Love that platform. And I just thought this is a conversation we need to have and, and get for the audience. So hello, Ivan. Please introduce yourself. Hey there. Um, so, yeah, I'm a 17-year veteran of the software industry. I've run my own companies. I've existed inside of other companies. Currently, I'm principal engineer at a company called Online Meted. Very nice. Very nice. And I, I got to say, I read your post. You know, this is going to sound kind of cliche, but it's true. Um, you know, as, as content creators and consumers, especially when we're developers and, and working in the technical industry, you know, we consume a lot of media. Media, And I was going through one day reading some Dev2 posts. I saw this post uh, by Ivan um, called Passion Projects versus Paying Projects. And I don't know if it just hit me at the right moment as I was thinking about things, but I read through it and it just struck such a chord that I was like, okay, we, we have to talk about this because I don't think I know anybody in the tech industry that at some point has not reached a situation where they say, say to themselves, okay, you know, I do I let what I love doing cross over into the area of what I need to do? So we're, we're going we're gonna to touch on that uh, along with a few other subjects. But let's start there. And I, I want to I sort of look at my notes here, and, and I want to make sure that I get these quotes. I'm sort of paraphrasing, right? Because th these are the lines that hit me, right? Uh, so we're builders. We build things. We play with the stuff we find that intrigues us, and every now and then we catch a spark. And I think we all know exactly where that's coming from. A glimmer of something bigger, something that ignites a fire that we just can't ignore, something that fuels our passion, then the bills come in. <laughs> and, and I read that, and I was like, how did someone get my life in one paragraph of text? <laughs> so let's talk about that. And and again, we'll, listeners, viewers, we'll put links in the show notes. But let's 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 dive into this and talk about this as a subject. Um, you know, how do you how do you see this? And and a, you know, it's a great post, and it gives lots of. Um, I I don't know if I should call it advice or just things to think about. Uh, because we all suffer this thing where you start taking something you love and as soon as it becomes something that you almost have to do because it becomes your day job or your day project, something like that, over time this can become a problem, right? And you should never, do, in my opinion, never do something that takes something you love to a place where you end up sort of resenting it a bit. So you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So... <clears throat> This is something that I have a lot of experience with, right? So um, I got into coding in college and I, as, as a way that I needed to, I needed to earn some extra scratch, right? So <laughs> I need to go out, uh, go out on a date or two and I needed to earn some cash and coding seemed like a, something to do. Like I'll, mm -hmm. I'll just get into coding. And like for me, um, I was going to school for stats and math and coding was a wonderful structured way to um, express creativity. Um, so I found it to be a natural place to explore and, and, and enjoy myself. And 
happen to earn some cash while doing it. Um, and I looked around and my, my friends who had recently graduated with an econ degree were bragging about the, the cash and salary that they were making. And I was looking at the software industry as like, this is nowhere in the same realm, right? So software, we can do so much more. And so I went down that path and immediately went into the freelancing world. Right. So I went from uh, studying econ to freelance software. And for me, it immediately switched something that was an exploration of joy to a requirement. I needed to find that next client or else I was sunk. Right. So it it turned into this paying project, what was a passion project for me. Um, fortunately, after years of scratch and just fighting tooth and nail, um, I found the joy again. And, <laughs> and I've been able to hang on to it since then. But, but yeah, it's, I definitely am very much aware of, of the struggle. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, you know, that, that line to me has always been a problem. I think you're right. This, you know, every time I have turned... A, a, a sort of a, a passion into uh, essentially a, a career. At some point, I have found I start questioning. Oh, do I, do I want to keep doing this? You know, uh, before I was doing the computer software uh, stuff, which I've been doing for I don't know over twenty years at this point. Um, I spent a long time as a professional photographer, and I that started because I I loved photography as a teenager, and. Um, well, what, quick, what, yeah. as, what aspects of photography drew you in? I mean, it's never the, the one thing that drew you in that creates that catalyst for further growth, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a couple of things. Um, I always loved art and, uh, you know, technical drawing, for, for example. And I just was, I was never as good at it at school as I wanted to be. And one day one of my art teachers said to me, uh, have you thought about photography? And, you know, I was thinking, well, um, no, <laughs> but let's give this a go. So they gave me a camera and, you know, I was like, all right. So I went around taking pictures and suddenly seeing the world through that square frame and, and, and realizing, you know, everything that I'm trying to say now exists in this little box. Uh, so it started there. And then, like so many say, when I started developing my own film, you know, black and white in particular at this stage, and then doing the printing, this whole creative world came to be. And, you know, then I realized, oh, people actually do this as a career. So, um, you know, for me, I actually started doing press photography when I was at school and I would cover the school's projects, things like that, take them off down to the paper and then the next thing you know, um, I'm doing other stories for the paper. And, and then the next thing you know was some studio stuff and the weddings. And it just sort of bloomed from there. And before you know it, it's, you know, I'd left school and it's like, okay, I, uh, I have a career now. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, that, ac and, that accidental job, right? Did you get yeah, so far it. into it? Did you get so far into it that you started uh, doing the chemical baths and trying to balance the chemicals just right so you could get the bright whites and the bl yep. absolute black blacks. Yep, I was, yeah, um, you know, I, I had, uh, I had, you know, bless my parents, 
I, I convinced him to build me a dark room at home. Oh, um, beautiful. You know, dabbled with, with color and realized very quickly that's not something it's so easy to do, um, you know, in a home setup. Yeah. Uh, but the but the whole black and white thing, yeah, you name it. And then uh, from there went into work in a professional photo lab. So, of course, I was spending every day uh, learning new techniques, uh, you know, learning all of those and spending a lot of time with professional photographers. And at that point, I had to accept this is a job <laughs> now, you know, and, and, and people used to say to me, you know, like, how lucky are you to have this as a job? And it was like, yeah, I know. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> you know. Well, and, uh, and was it the was it the switch from self-directed exploration to external demands of specificity that really ruined it? Yes, it is. And uh, you know, I I know this sort of comes up in one of your blog posts on your site and people should go check the links, but uh this is what happened. Um the constraints started to come in. And the next thing you know is it's no longer, um, you know, regardless of the subject, in this case, photography, but it applies to so many things, right? It's no longer your complete vision. It's now doing something that you love with skills that you love, but making a vision for somebody else. And then over time, uh, you know, that, that sort of creeps up on you. And the next thing you know is okay, now I feel like I'm just a, a cog in the wheel using my skills uh, legitimately, but not really s using them to say what I want to say. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and to me, and this is something that I discovered recently, it feels like that transition happens when it feels like there's a loss of control over yourself, over your own direction. Like you you lose that that um, that authorship or, or uh, being able to show up wholly for yourself. Yeah. Um, and as soon as you be, as soon as you regain that direction, that sense of self-control, even if you're in the same situation, it feels much better. So if you augment your, your W2 with a, with a side project or with a freelance gig or with a piece, uh, a piece of consulting work or something like that, where you, regain that control over your own destiny even if nothing changes but yeah. you cognitively switch perspectives like you are your own author and as long yeah. as you retain that sense of ownership we can continue to feel great about showing up every day absolutely absolutely that that is something that i think you know we all go through it at some point um most of us make it out the other side, right? Um, through one of two ways, either just, you know, perseverance and it, you find a way to almost accept, okay, you know, th this is part of what I do and, and I got two choices. I, I can accept it, keep going with it or find a different path. And for me and, and certainly folks that I've spoken with, that other path was these other outlets now it's time to feed the soul right and 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 to work on those those side I, I i hate to call them side projects because i think a lot of it as for creatives is really it's just another thing you do <laughs> you know and and almost it's almost a bit of an insult to it to put it into a box and somehow define it as a secondary thing right sure. if we didn't if we didn't do this you know to, to us as creative folks 
uh, everything we do, I think, is you know has that level of the same level of passion to it, and and to sort of categorize them in some ways is putting them in a priority list, and I think that that subconsciously sort of chews away at you a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so there, there's that W-2 and then there's everything else. But that everything else is what lights the fire. And you have an opportunity to light the fire outside the W-2 and then fan the flames inside the W-2, right? Mm-hmm. So given that you are your own author, the author of your own career, you can choose to study whatever you want outside of work hours. And then at some point you reach a critical mass of expertise or familiarity in that area and you can choose a different W2, right? Yeah. You can fan whatever flame you want and follow that where you choose to go. Because at the end of the day, as soon as you understand that you are your own author, the control is yours. Like you, you aren't subject to somebody else paying you. You can go choose your own method. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I think as you mentioned there, you are free to make these choices, and I think that it's very easy for folks sometimes to think that every choice you make has to somehow be tied to almost it has to have a financial value to it and uh you know it it shouldn't kind of this perception these days that 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 everything has to have some kind of financial payback as opposed to just i like doing this yeah explore (laughs) explore and and so for me um yes i love the software stuff i i like doing my w2 i like uh exploring uh, through writing. I like building side projects. I like helping folks out with new and interesting challenges that they're experiencing. Um, but outside of that, like I enjoy building things like that's like fundamentally, that's what I enjoy about software. It's, it's the building, it's the creation. And to that end, I can build physically, you know, like in, in the garage, I'm putting together an airplane. Like this is, I, I like doing that. I, I like creating what wasn't yep so that's interesting talk about this airplane i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm curious now you've you opened the door here i, I got yeah you feel this. free feel free to walk through it man um yeah yeah so uh so i think it's the the, the pathway for explanation it makes a little bit more sense if i start back in high school i uh, you it. know so like from five, like any young kid, I played baseball for since I was five years old, all the way through high school. And um, that was my obsession. That was the first one. That was my first love, first obsession. And I ended up hurting myself. Like I, I ended up having two elbow surgeries to put it all back together. Oh. And like oh it, it was the end oh. of my first love. Right. Yeah. And so uh, my parents did the best that they knew how to was try to replace the passion with something else. And there, we, we did a lot of uh, exploration, but the thing that caught my fire was, um, was flying. 
right? So fortunately for for me, I was um, blessed with the uh, with the opportunity to um, go flying as as a as a hobby, and that turned out to be just a fascinating set of rules and the different perspective that you have when you're flying around at low altitudes and. Um, in a little airplane, getting bounced around by by the smallest of turbulence, it, it's yeah. it's a lot of fun, man. So yeah, yeah. Um, and after 17 years of of doing high value work, it's it's really nice to be able to um, explore the opportunity to put one together. Like it's I'm building a sling TSI. Uh, the, the the airplane is manufactured in South Africa. It okay. seats four, um, and right. it's it's going to be a wonderful little project for me and my kids and my family to put together. Um, it's probably going to take a couple of years to put together, really. And the I think the I think the build time is roughly twelve hundred to fifteen hundred hours, and okay. uh, that's that's quite a few weekends, and <laughs> quite yeah, a few yeah. nights, and uh, enjoying the time with the family, and uh, you know. Just this past weekend, I had the the first opportunity with my five year old and my sixteen year old both helping me at the same time putting the nice. uh, the tail together, and it was it was really cool, man. Like to to bridge that age range mm-hmm. on doing something that is meaningful to me. It brings the whole family together. This is I, I'm loving it. This is fantastic. It it does. It sounds fantastic, and I love like you say. You know, it it's an opportunity. Uh, for family and, and friends and, and whoever to, to come together on a project and, mm-hmm. and to, to have that time. And I'm sure inevitably, right, as you're working on this project, you know, there, there's other benefits here, right? Not, not only that you're spending time together, you may be having conversations that you wouldn't necessarily find the time for um, at other times and things like that. And like you say, just this seeing this come together in front of you, right? And, and, you know, I think it's okay, and I'm not, you know, making assumptions here, but I think it's okay when you're doing something like this to stand back and sort of pat yourself on the back and go, I'm doing this. This is coming <laughs> together because I'm making it, right? And yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I know some folks sort of frown upon these sometimes, and it's like, well, you shouldn't feel so, you know, um, proud of yourself but I, I think you should and i think that's kind of the point is like look i wanted to do this thing i'm doing it, it i can see it happening in front of me yeah it's it's yeah. it's i think it's gonna be a lot of fun man like um so i should i should be done roughly in the same time period as my uh, oldest goes off to college and my youngest will grow up feeling like this is a normal thing which is just wild um, absolutely and the the really cool thing is that this like my philosophy on parenting is like you don't debase yourself to enable the kids. You have to show your kids that you're passionate so that they know what that looks like. Right. So I get to share something that I'm passionate about with my kids with no financial benefit or pressures. Right. It's, it's just the thing that we're all enjoying doing together. And it takes a long time to put it together we see the little tiny bits of progress every day. And over time, that builds up into this really nice delayed gratification training. It's, yeah. gonna, it's amazing. It is. And, you know, that... Time for a break. All right, here it is. The one thing that I cannot do without every day, and that is my coffee. 
Anyone that knows me or anyone that's listened to any of my podcasts or anything else knows that I absolutely cannot operate without my coffee, and I love good coffee. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you one free bag of coffee by going to peterwidom.com forward slash coffee. There is a wonderful company out there that follows the fair trade practices, helps out a lot of independent roasters of all sizes, and the operation is simple. What you do is you're going to go to, to peterwidom.com forward slash coffee. You sign up there. You get a free bag of coffee sent to you. Yes, in return. They say thank you to me by giving me some coffee. But that's not the reason I'm doing this. The reason I'm doing this is because I have found so many good coffees that I just would never have come across, heard about, or experienced without this service. Trade coffee is, is just fantastic. Uh, you know, there are plenty of places out there. We all know them that supply coffee, good coffee. You can go to the store, get the coffee, but there is nothing better than discovering new independent roasters and supporting them, discovering new flavors of coffee, new grinds for, you can set it up. It's very smart. You tell it the kind of coffee you like, and over time it gets better and better as it trains in on your selections and your choices and gives you exactly the coffee you're looking for and recommending new ones that, that will be very similar. Every time I get a new packet of coffee, I go through and afterwards I try the coffee, I go through the service and I say, look, I loved this coffee, I thought this coffee was okay, or I say, look, I've, this was really not for me. And every time I do that, it makes the service a little more accurate on the next selection for me. So again, just go to peterwidom.com forward slash coffee, get your free bag of coffee today. If you're a coffee lover, you're going to really appreciate this service. I have been using it for years at this point and thoroughly recommend it. Break time over. That instantly reminded me of something that would always happen to me at school. I'm sure this happens to many folks. Um, but it goes back to when I, you know, we all have that day at school, right? When they say like, okay, what, what is it you want to do? You know, and, and, and for me, I think you see where this is going. You know, I was like, I want to be a photographer. And they, they, they're like, mm, you may want to think of something else, you know? And it, it served to me as like, nope. No, firstly, you know, it's like school introduced me to this and enabled me to do it. And now you're telling me to do something else. <laughs> I don't think so. You know? <laughs> um, and, and also at that, by that time I was, you know, because of the way that I had sort of learned to do this, it was a case of, no, I want to do this. Right. You know, yeah. and, and that's when I also realized, as you're saying about, you know, in the context of this and it's like the, a lot of the time, schooling feels like it's almost designed to, I don't want to say teach the creativity out of you, but make you think that somehow this is a secondary thing, right? You've got to learn these skills, very practical, very useful skills, or, you know, English, math, whatever it may be. But it always bugged me since that day that, what's wrong with teaching creativity and, and, and the, you know, essentially saying, Hey, whatever your dream is, more power to you. Go do it. I, I see. And I'm struggling with that with my own kids as they're going with through school. Um, it's, it feels like the schools are trying to make sure that it's catering to average 
And there are so many more capabilities, there's so many more opportunities that can fan the flame of creativity or fan the flame of interest. Um, it becomes that much more important for parents to see and, and pick up on those little things and, and interact with the kids so that we know enough about them um, to be able to create opportunities for them to learn and pursue their interests. Um, and, and too frequently, it seems that um, kids are parked in front of a tablet or a phone or something like that just to stop bothering. And um, mm -hmm. very one of the things that my wife and I try really hard to do is uh, no devices at the dinner table, right? So we all have to sit there and enjoy each other's company and have a conversation with other people, with your eyes and face being present with one another, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The amount of creativity and the shared experience where you're in there and you have to kind of remove all preconceived notions, like you have to be okay saying silly stuff, right? Yep. And and just enjoy that experience with everybody else. Oh, yeah. You know, um, and also to to have that fun with it. Right. Yeah. You know, like, um, like my, my software teams, um, the first thing that hopefully the first thing they would tell you, well, hopefully the first thing they would tell you is what a fantastic boss I am, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not going to bank on that. I'm going to go with number two, uh, which is that I try to make things fun. Right. Um, the, the stress of the day is always there, right. Especially when things are going wrong. So, um, I have no problem being that guy in the room. That's like, say something silly, right? J just to break it up, have some fun with it. They're used to it anyway with me, kind of that, you know, let, letting in that English guy thing come through. We're all supposed to be a bit weird and quirky anyway. So it's great. I can play right into that. But um, to try and keep it fun and interesting and and that, you know. Um, yeah. I, and it, go on. It, yeah, it, it seems like managing... Managing in a way that optimizes for joy also happens to optimize for throughput. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So if, if we can make sure that everybody is having a good time, that um, that the teammates are uh, that are gelling, um, that the projects are being managed at a at a decent cadence, that the direction is clear and everybody is working on things that they enjoy working on. I mean, mm -hmm. it, how can you get much better than that? It's that it's such a nice way to to manage rather than being dictatorial or or being overly democratic. There, there is an optimization for joy. Yep, absolutely. And and for me, always one of the greatest moments is when uh, someone that I'm working with, uh, whether they're they're working for me or not, doesn't. It's almost inconsequential. It is when they come to me and they're like, hey, I thought of this thing and I'd like to explore it. Um, and it can be related or not related to anything we're working on. And and immediately I'm like, yeah, let's go do this. Go, go do it. Take it any direction you want. Because it tells me that they've they've understood what I, you know, kind of one of my, my philosophies, which is not to say that I invented it, but just one of the ones that I embrace, which is uh, always be curious, you know, and, and to always, and, and you mentioned this in uh, one of your, your blog posts, if I remember rightly, I'll mm -hmm. look it up here in a second, 
but um, which is to you know always be learning, and and one way to always be learning is to always be curious, and to not be afraid to 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 even when it is the day job to say, hey, I'd really like to go look at this thing, um, because I just want to, you know, and and for me that is always it's a reward in the sense of they got it. They got that I want them to go do that if they feel comfortable doing it, you know? And, um, you know, I think it was, um, uh, looking at my notes here. Oh, there was a post, uh, seven habits, uh, to cultivate for becoming a better software engineer. And that, that's what got me thinking about it. Um, this, this idea of, you know, it doesn't end at nine to five, right? Just the same as any other creative outlet, anything like your brain just doesn't switch off and that's it. Come back tomorrow. Right. You know, right. um, it is, I, I know for me and, and folks have said to me before, so I feel great that I'm not the only one and I'm not weird that weird, <laughs> uh, which is sometimes either a solution or a really good idea comes to me when I'm just about to put my head on the pillow. <laughs> oh, man. You know? yeah, that's, it's such a fascinating physiological uh, like manifestation of how the brain works, right? So there's, uh, there's active focus and there's passive focus, and, uh, and then you can throw it over to communication. Like, let, that's why the rubber duck thing, that's one of the reasons why the rubber duck, me rubber duck mechanism or, or method <laughs> works is because you're, you're you're moving that problem around in different areas of the brain, like, and it unlocks additional processing power in different yeah. areas. It's, it's, and if you learn to take the time to understand how to move the problems around inside your own head, it's, it unlocks that much more power to think creatively. And you don't need to, I don't know, like take a, a pen and pencil or a pen and paper into the shower to think about something different in a different environment or have a, a pad of paper next to your bed to capture that thought as it as it happens, as just as you fall asleep, you can just yeah. write it down. Uh, you don't have to do that. You can just kind of bounce it around in your head in different ways while you're sitting just having lunch or, or whatever, like you, you can, you have control. Yeah. And I think knowing that you have the control and the freedom to say, Hey, this can happen to me anytime. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm one of those people, you know, my, my best time of day, uh, is late at night. If I could, and, and this sort of, little bit goes back to i think the conditioning that i gave myself when i was doing the photography uh there'd be long days you'd often be working sometimes overnight on some projects um so i very much became a night thinker and uh if i could i'd work overnight let the day go by because i know the day for the most part is nothing but distractions for that inner in a me that's thinking through these problems um, without even realizing it. And I think that's part of it too, is when I get to the end of the day, that subconscious switch that says, Hey, you know, stop looking at the calendar, the schedule's done. And it opens up that gateway that just lets all of this, like it's been here all day. Great. Now <laughs> it's coming out, you know? Um, but I'm glad that it does that. 
I'd be more worried if I didn't have that because then I would mm. realize, hmm, I really am just, this is what I do. It starts here, it ends there. And uh, that would drive me crazy. Absolutely. Person, you know. Yeah. And yeah. it's fascinating that you've discovered that the, your ideal creative time is happens to be in the evenings. Right? It took I think a, that's, many years to accept. Right. I've, I've noticed that it... Uh, as you develop professionally and exist in a scheduled environment, let's say, um, different default proclivities um, for different kinds of thinking come to the forefront. For me, um, especially when I was freelancing and consulting in the first five, 10 years of my career, um, it, it became very obvious to me that my optimal productivity time was between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m. And if I really needed to, I got another option, another door open to me right about 6 p.m. and I could work about to midnight. And I got roughly maybe 80% as, as productivity or as productive during that block as in the morning. Um, but I, when I did use that second block, I was fried for the next day or two. So I could I could turn it on, but it's not something that I need to use all the time. I absolutely get fried if I do that many many days in a row, as <laughs> I'm sure anybody really would. But it's interesting to know how your body responds to different stresses. So, do you find is this something where you consciously decide whether you're going to have that that second session? Oh, absolutely! No, not today. Uh, keep it till tomorrow, something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, let's say, um, so most days I st structure, I schedule my days so that I have that morning reserved. It's it's holy time for mm -hmm. me. Don't touch, don't talk to me. Don't even look at me. I'm productive <laughs> in during this block of time. So <laughs> and then I and then I go to lunch and then I come back and I have meetings and. Uh, chat and do whatever we need to do, but that morning time is holy. Don't don't touch. Um, if we have like deadlines or a need to push, or I have extra work that I want to do, or something like that that I happen to need productivity for, I know not to do it during the, the early afternoon time because I'm not going to be able to do it. Like it, the amount of horsepower changes for me throughout the day, and if I need extra thinking. I wait until the afternoon. Very interesting. So you are essentially managing um, th that creative burn. Absolutely. Right? And you're knowing when, okay, I got to turn it up a little bit right now. And when you can sort of back off, build up the reserve and say, okay, you know, uh, let's store it in the batteries for another time. <laughs> right. Cause that's interesting because I know, um, you know, when I have my developer head on, for example, um, that's when I'm in the, you know, okay, nothing bother me, period. Because I know mm -hmm. it when I'm working on that, uh, for me, it requires more effort, more focus, and it will take very little to distract me. And, and as we all know, like, you know, especially with like software developers, uh, it takes a while to get back in that zone, right? And to, to be able to go, oh, that's what I was doing. This is what I was thinking and, and go with that flow again. So I do also 
recommend to people um, try and observe those folks that you that you're around and that you work with and see if you can identify just from the way they're acting are they in that mode and if they're in that mode leave them alone (laughs) yeah and it's it's fascinating right so not everybody realizes that they are managing themselves like that sometimes it's a default uh, physiological response to managing focus um i think a, a fewer percentage of of us in this profession are able to articulate hey during this time I'm going to be doing this other thing. I'm going to flip my do not disturb sign on. I'm going to even shut off Slack. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go do my thing. And when I come back online, let's, let's chat let's have fun. Um, The other thing that I learned early on in my career was um, how useful open loops were. Uh, And this is the idea of uh, for writing, for example, you always step up or stand up from your desk in the middle of a sentence. Oh, right. So you know exactly as soon as you sit back down, you see the sentence, you kind of remember why you did that, you remember the rest of the sentence, and then you can get right back into the flow. There are lots of those kinds of opportunities for coding, for um, any kind of this creative flow. Like I have a, a big old whiteboard here on my wall, and there's different kinds of open loops I leave over there so that I can get back into, okay, that's that train of thought. Let's get back in and think about that problem a little bit more. And there's, there's a lot of different ways to manage those open loops. And I, I think it's a super valuable skill to develop. I had never thought about it in that way. That is very interesting because as you're describing that, I'm realizing, especially when you said about the whiteboard, I I sort of do that to myself without, I guess, never realizing what I was doing, because I'll you know I um, I'll I'll have a note somewhere, and you know it sort of ties back to like we were saying like that you know late at night when the idea comes to you, and I'll just put down half of something. It might yeah. be the half of a title, and I know it's completely unfinished, but I something says put this down so that when you come back later on, it, it reminds you, you know, not to necessarily complete the thought, but take it somewhere. Um, and I, now that I think about it, yeah, a lot of the notes that I leave for myself and, and I'm, I, I should say to folks, um, you know, I am still one of those people that likes to live in an analog world for, for uh, note taking and things like that because it requires more effort. And if it requires more effort, I'm giving it more attention. That's just my theory. Um, but, but that's what I do. And, and I have these half written things that I'll just pick up one day and it's like, yeah, today's the day for that one. Um, I, I, now that you mentioned that, I, I guess I was doing it without realizing it. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. The, the that more... was cheaper than therapy. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> and and I like taking notes on the computer. I definitely like um, taking notes uh, analog as well. There's no, there's something different about the tactility of a pen that you really enjoy writing with on paper that is nice, right? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be sacred, but it needs to be satisfying, right? Yes. So yeah. so. And, and and the more satisfying the entire process is, the easier it is for all the ideas to flow because those that satisfaction of using the things 
eliminates distractions. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I guess I need to make this confession here. So I feel, I feel safe. I, I guess I should feel <laughs> safe on my own podcast, but I feel safe with this confession that every time I get, um, you know, it's time to start a new notebook. Um, I always feel guilty. And I ask myself, <laughs> and, and the, the first thing I'm about to put on the first page is like, is this good enough to go in this, this nice pristine <laughs> book? Um, and, and over time I've come to laugh at it and, and I've, I've realized what I do now. I, I have to, it's, it's like rip the bandaid off. So I'll just make a mess on that first page. And it's like, see, you ruined it. Anything you do now is good. Um, so there's a tip for anybody. If you have that, just destroy the first page and you get over it really quickly. But uh, That's yeah. hilarious. I, I do yeah. something similar. I skip the first page and I make a mess on the second, on the second there page. There you go. See, it is. It's like, okay, you've done the worst you can do here. You've offended yep. the book. Yep. Here on out, it's all good stuff, right? Uh, so that that's funny. I, I actually feel relieved that that I won't be a I won't be by myself in the asylum no. when they come yeah. together. It's like you, and oh, me too. You're, you you did it too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just me and Ivan sitting there ripping pages out of a book, right? You know, um, it's good. I've I've uh, I've really enjoyed exploring how differently uh, the brain responds to different modes of tactility. It's yeah. it's so fascinating, and I'm I'm one of that's one of my really I, I enjoy exploring that aspect of uh, of thinking. I I enjoy thinking about thinking. It's so such a strange yeah. idea, but it, when I try to describe it to them, that it's it's about thinking about things, right? And especially like when I'm talking with new developers too, and I, and I I should mention. Because one of the things I do is I love mentoring uh, new developers and that who are just starting out just to pay back all those folks that have helped me throughout the years. Um, but the first thing I say to them is understand that, you know, t typing the code is a very small part of the job. Um, it, it's the thinking about a problem and, you know, um, putting it all together in your head first. It's kind of like making the jigsaw without actually touching it, right? And then you sit down and go, okay, now now I'm going to, you know, lay out the pieces. Um, so, you know, yeah. again, to me, that's part of the creative process of thinking is, yeah, it's happening in my head and I'm thinking about it. And and for those who are not, you know, don't, I, I hate to say the word, think creatively, but to those who don't understand that, they just look at you and think, well, he's not doing anything. You know, and it's like, no, quite the opposite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of different mechanisms that are a lot of different methodologies that you can use to explore uh, explore an idea. And and very, and like you said, very a, a very small component of development is actually hands-on keyboard. It's, you're using the whiteboard, you're using stickies, you're using different kinds of software to explore different uh, ways to put ideas together. Um, you're working with the, the product people or the SMEs to, um, to explain different processes to you so that you can then model that in software. And there's different ways to use the stakeholders and the SMEs to actually do the development. And then you reflect their communications back to them in code and in a way where they can actually read the code and understand what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is... It is that taking somebody else's problem, finding the solution, building it, going back and saying, is this what you meant? You know, mm -hmm. um, and I think that 
sometimes people forget that the idea here is you're solving a problem and that solution is what you're working towards uh, more than it is, you know, it matters to you how you get there. It matters to someone else what you're giving them. Right. And both of those are correct viewpoints. Uh, it just depends where you sit in that chain. So we're going to put some links in the show notes. There's a, uh, you've written a couple of books and I've added them to my list because I was reading through your blog posts and I was like, I feel like I'm only getting a fraction here. I got, I got to dive into these books, you know. Uh, the first one, uh, Surviving Software Complexity Techniques for Taming the Beast. Now, uh, uh, first of all, I love the title because every <laughs> time I, whenever I see like the beast, I'm like, he must be talking about that monolithic code base that he knows I have in the background somewhere. But, but you know, so talk to us about the book. Yeah, so I I enjoy learning uh, and um, and sharpening my own toolkit. And what I've what I've discovered over time is that there are a plethora of books that go miles deep in one tiny area. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, microservices, or for example, Kubernetes, or for example, insert technology X, right? Yeah. But if one person went through all of those books, they might even still end up on the other side without an understanding of how those technologies interrelated or why you would want to choose one over another. And so I felt like there was a gap. And what I wanted to fill was uh, where I was, say, five years ago, okay. where I was generally aware of a few of these different technologies, but I wasn't mm. aware enough to be able to do Okay, so that's the characteristic of that problem. Given that um, I'm aware of this problem set, I'm aware of these potential solutions, I'm going to use technology X because of Y, right? Okay. Being able to yeah. make those decisions. And so I wanted to do a, a small primer on a wide set of technologies rather than going deep in any one area so that it would give somebody enough conversational familiarity to be able to make a decision about one technology over another. Very interesting. And that is, uh, a, you know, that is a difficult topic, right? Because it's, it's hard for us to, to work that balance sometimes between the part of the brain that says, Oh, well, there's this new thing and I want to go use that just because it's shiny and new and knowing the, a tried and tested technology might not be the most exciting thing on the planet, but if it solves the problem, then, you know, that's, that's your solution. Right. right. Um, and, and the second book here, uh, scaling success strategies for growing your tech teams and capabilities. Talk to us about that. This, this might be the one that I read first just <laughs> where I'm at, you know, in my career. Absolutely. So it's, um, it's comparing and contrasting, um, somebody who makes all the wrong choices for all the wrong reasons. And <laughs> so and, is my biography. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> it's a really short read. It's, I think it's 40 or 50 pages, something like that. And I think there's five or six examples of um, how to go about things the right way or how to go about things the wrong way, um, all related to scaling teams and hiring. And um, it was my first little book that I want to explore and 
uh, it was a blog post that got way out of control. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that happens, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, you know, thank you for, for putting this content out there and just, you know, giving folks a, a way to think about these things that doesn't necessarily come up every day. You know, I, a lot of the time um, I like to focus like these interviews and things like that, talk with folks beyond Kind of what sort of what I call beyond the obvious, right? The, the, you know, there's there's plenty of folks out there talking about the technical things and the the coding things and everything else, but the rest of the experience of 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 doing what we do, why we do it, how we do it, and how that affects us, that's the stuff that interests me the most. You know, so I, I guess especially as I as you get older, you know, but, um, so, you know, thank you. It's, it's more of a case of please explain why I do these things, you know? Um, so, so thank you for that. And, uh, you know, folks, we will put lots of links in the show notes. Please go check them out. Like I say, Ivan's books are on, on my, uh, Amazon list. So, um, that's, that's going to be a, a great joy to sit down and read those. So Ivan, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really appreciate you taking the time um, to, you know, to come and talk with us and, and give us these perspectives and given, you know, more than anything, something to, to take away and think about. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. If this has been helpful, you know what to do. Follow the podcast, go tell your friends about it, share it with other developers. And if you would be so kind as to leave a like or a review, I would greatly appreciate that. If you want to go the extra step, of course, as I've mentioned before, you can buy me a coffee. You can go to peterweedham.com forward slash BMC, and that helps sort of fund the podcast and all of these projects that I'm working on, making hopefully this useful content for you. That's it. I will speak to you in the next episode.